0: Everywhere hangs the vague but tremendous smell of coffee beans. The old men watch the children and speak in low, desultory tones. John Clutterbuck, whose grandson, Andy, is busy drinking himself to death this fall, has been talking about the town landfill. The landfill stinks like a bugger in the summertime, he says. No one disputes this, it's true, but no one is very interested in the subject either, because it's not summer, it's autumn, and the huge range oil stove is throwing off a stuporous glow of heat. The Winston thermometer behind the counter says 82. Clutterbuck's forehead has a huge dent above his left eyebrow where he struck his head in a car accident in 1963. Small children sometimes ask to touch it. Old Clut has won a great deal of money from summer people who don't believe the dent in his head will hold the contents of a medium-sized water tumbler. Paulson, Harley McKissick says quietly, an old Chevrolet has pulled in behind Lenny Partridge's oil burner. On the side is a cardboard sign held with heavy masking tape. Gary Paulson, Chairs caned, antiques bought and sold, the sign reads, with the telephone number to call beneath the words. Gary Paulson gets out of his car slowly, an old man in faded green pants with a huge satchel seat. He drags a knurled cane out after him, holding to the doorframe tightly until he has the cane planted just the way he likes it. The cane has a white plastic handgrip from a child's bike affixed over its dark tip like a condom. It makes small circles in the lifeless dust as Paulson begins his careful trip from his car to the door of Brownies. The children on the bandstand look up at him, then follow his glance, fearfully it seems, to the leaning, crepitating bulk of the Newell House on the ridge above them. Then they go back to their fire truck. Joe Newell bought in Castle Rock in 1904, and owned in Castle Rock until 1929, but his fortune was made in the nearby mill town of Gates Falls. He was a scrawny man with an angry, hectic face and eyes with yellow corneas. He bought a great parcel of open land out in the bend. This was when it was quite a thriving village complete with a profit of a little combined wood milling operation and furniture factory from the First National Bank of Oxford the bank got it from Phil Boudreau in a foreclosure assisted by county sheriff Nickerson Campbell Phil Boudreaux, well-liked but considered something of a fool by his neighbors, slunk away to Kittery and spent the next twelve years or so tinkering with cars and motorcycles. Then he went off to France to fight the Heinys, fell out of an airplane while on a reconnaissance mission, or so the story has it, and was killed. The Boudreaux patch lay silent and fallow for most of those years, while Joe Newell lived in a rented house in Gates Falls and saw to the making of his fortune. He was known more for his employee severance policies than for the way he turned around a mill which had been tottering on the brink of ruination when he bought it for a song back in O two. The mill workers called him Firing Joe, because if you missed a single shift, you were sent down the road, no excuses accepted or even listened to. He married Cora Leonard, niece of Carl Stowe, in 1914. The marriage had great merit, in Joe Newell's eyes, certainly, because Cora was Carl's only living relative, and she would no doubt come into a nice bundle when Carl passed on, as long as Joe remained on good terms with him, that was, and he had no intentions of being on anything less with the old fellow, who had been damned shrewd in his day, but was considered to have become rather soft in his declining years." There were other mills in the area that could be bought for a song and then turned around. If, that was, a man had a little capital to use as a lever. Joe soon had his lever. His wife's rich uncle died within a year of the wedding. So the marriage had merit. Oh, yes, no doubt about it. Cora herself did not have merit, however. She was a grain bag of a woman, incredibly wide across the hips, incredibly full in the butt, yet almost as flat-chested as a boy, and possessed of an absurd little pipe-stem neck, upon which her oversized head nodded like a strange, pale sunflower. Her cheeks hung like dough, her lips like strips of liver. Her face was as silent as a full moon on a winter night. She sweated huge, dark patches around the armholes of her dresses even in February, and she carried a dank smell of perspiration with her always.